Hello and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta Yerdena Asband, our daf of the day, Masachet Beitza, daf tet, page nine. Now, you surely know, as we have said in the past, we are recording this in advance of your listening to it, not only by the one day or two days that we always do, but because of the timing of Rosh Hashanah, we have recorded this several days in advance. Um, I mentioned this for two reasons. One is to just take note of the, as your Dana's father, you know, has taught all of us, right, the nice nister of how things can line up so perfectly between the learning and uh, what is happening in the world. We're learning about Yantif um, during the time, the season of Yantif, which I think is quite nice. Whether or not Beitza is exactly your cup of tea, and I know it's not everybody's, it happens to be that the timing is really quite perfect for us. So that's one thing. Um, you know, if Pesach lined up with Pesach, and or just before, and um, and here we have, and here we have, uh, Beitza with Yantif, uh, with the whole Tishrei season. The other thing I wanted to say is as follows: um, We're recording still at the end of the old year, and it strikes me that there's been kind of a preponderance of you know everybody knows a number of terrible things all year long. Um, it's been a very challenging year, and we do hope and pray for health and joy and comfort and productivity and all kinds of wonderful things in the coming year. It happens to be that two people that I know well have um, suffered health uh, crises over the past day or so in my life, meaning from when we're recording. By the time, I hope by the time you're all listening to this, everybody will be happy and healthy again. But in the meantime, I want to just dedicate this day's episode to their refuah shlema, to these two people's refuah shlema. I'm not naming them only because I don't know what's going to be by the time you're listening. Um, but hopefully it will all be for the very, very good. And I thank you for joining me in tfilot, or recognition of the tfilot that we have today in learning in their honor and for their health. I'm going to begin here with a Mishnah. Um, it's towards the beginning of Amud Aleph. Beit Shammai Omrim, Ein Molichin et Asulam, Mishuvach Lushuvach, so we have a pretty classic kind of dispute between Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel. Beit Shammai says you cannot carry a ladder. The ladder would be that you'd use to reach up to the dovecotes. And you cannot carry the ladder from one to the next. Uh, right? Um, but you could move it just slightly so that you could kind of edge it over from one window to the next in the same dovecote if you had such a need. And Beit Hill said, no, you can carry the ladder from one dovecote to the next. Now, this is, I would say, one of the simplest Mishnayot that we have seen in a very long time. You know, it's a very simple machloket. Beit Shammai says no. Beit Hill says yes, which is exactly as we would expect. They're not taking opposite sides anymore, at least not on this day. And then we, of course, have to understand, what is it that this, what's the concern here about this ladder? And why couldn't they carry it? Why could they carry it? And what are we really talking about? And still, it seems to be just a, a detail about the halachot of Yom Tif. And, and, that's, and that's what it is. Meaning, on the holiday, you cannot carry a ladder to go reach your doves. What you need from your doves is a good question, right? The Gemara is going to address a little bit of this. And, but I, I think that it's worth taking note of the fact that sometimes, anyway, the halacha is straightforward. The mission is straightforward. We have a dispute, sure. But the presentation of the material is there for the taking. Here's the Gemara. Amar of Hanan bar Ami, Machloket Brashuda Rabim, the Beit Shammai Savre, Haroe Amar Lahatia Gago Hutsarich, Obed Hill Savre Shofro Mochia Halav. 
אבל ברשות היחיד, דברי הכל מותר. So Rechanan Bar Ami says as follows, this dispute, meaning the dispute in the Mishnah, is really only talking about a case where moving the ladder is, would take place in Rishud Rabim, in the public domain. And that's where Beit Shalamai's position, his whole point is that some, he says that somebody carrying the ladder will say, oh, I've got my ladder. Let me go fix my roof. Let me go fix my gutters. Let me go do whatever work I have to do because, hello, I've got my ladder with me, which I think is a very interesting kind of default assumption on Bichamit's part about what it might mean to be carrying a ladder. Um, and Beit Hill says, oh, you're going to your dovecoats to, to do what you need to do in the dovecoats, which is to handle the, the doves, right? right? That's, that's, I assume it's the eggs because that's what we're talking about this whole time. Um, Yudina, do you have any more insight on why the dovecoats in particular? Well, I think this probably was a common way that people got food over Yom Tov. You know, they probably shuchted animals. It's the only thing that I can think of. Or it was something that you had to take care of, you know, during during Yom Tov. I wondered if it was something that, like, that, that they have to provide, you know, some food and water for these right. birds that are up there. Um, yeah, I, I, I looked in commentaries. I did not see anything um, earth shattering. That doesn't mean it's not there. It means I, maybe I missed it. But nothing jumped out to me as... Um, as an explanation as to specifically why this is the topic of the ladders. But I do think that the idea is the ladder is the problem, right? Not going to the dovecote, meaning going to find whatever they had to do with these animals was fine on Yantif, but not the carrying of the ladder, according to Beit Shammai. And Beit Hillel, of course, what he's, his point is that because you're going to Shovcho, right? rather, you're going to the dovecote, then you're not trying to move your ladder for the point of doing something wrong. You're trying to do what you need to do up there in the where the doves live. And so then if you're in the Rashut Havrabim, fine, maybe you've got an issue. Beit Hill might, you know, that's where you have a dispute. But in a private domain, right, in a Rashut Yachid, even Beit Shammai, according to even Beit Shammai would have said, no, of course you can do it there because there nobody's going to say, oh, I've got my, I've got my ladder. I'm going to go out and work with my ladder and do some construction or whatever. Uh, but the Gemara continues, Eni, is it so? Meaning, why would Rashut HaYachid be okay if Rashut HaRabim is a problem because people might think that you're going to do the wrong thing. So what are we talking about? Um, this case is where the Gemara says that we've got a case of Tanaim, where we've got clothes that fell into the water on Shabbos or on Chag. Can you spread them out in the sun? You could spread them out in the sun, but if there's people there, right, people could see him. So then they might think that he's doing laundry on Shabbos. So you can't spread them out in the sun. Even though there was no laundry being done, he just wants to dry the clothing that fell into the water by accident. But beyond that, then Rebbe and Rebbe Shimon say, even in private, you can't do it. You can't spread it out in the sun, even though there's nobody there to see you, because once we've got an issue of Maritayin, we're not going to spread it out. So I want to correct something that I said before, which is you know, the concern about the ladder is less the person himself coming to do like handling it like muksa that he might come to use it in a mistaken way. It's really, I'm so, I, I shifted the, the subject of the issue. The subject of the issue is everybody else looking at him saying, oh, he must be taking his ladder to go do, you know, 
some some construction, some labor, some painting. I don't know. Um, okay, and one little last bit here because it comes back to Hanan Bar Ami Ikeda Amre. Amre means again. We could read this text. There's a version of this text in a different way. Amar of Hanan Bar Ami Machloket Bershud Yachid. The Beit Shammai eat lehud the Beit Yehud the Rav Yehud Amarav. Oved Hila late lehud the Rav Yehud Amarav. So this shifts the emphasis, meaning instead of saying that the, everybody agrees that in Rishut HaYachid it is permitted, this ends up saying in Rishut HaRabim, everybody, meaning Beit Hillel, agrees that it would be prohibited. And then why would it be a machloket? Why would there be a dispute in the private domain? Because then, perhaps that's the machloket of Beit Shammai agreeing with Rav Yehuda, Amarav, namely that <clears throat> anytime you've got an issue of, be- of married eye and you're going to be careful about it, even in the private domain. And Beit Hill says, no, you don't have to worry about that once you're in the private domain. You don't have to worry about what people might think that you're doing the wrong thing. The Gemara goes on, meaning the, the back and forth here goes on. It is a straightforward piece of Mishnah. It is a classic piece of Gemara in terms of taking the, taking the Gemara itself, I'm sorry, taking the Mishnah itself and um, developing or trying to delve into the different sides and batting them about, like, you know, this doesn't make sense under this view, or maybe we have another text that reads it that way. And that's how the rest of the, this section of the daf goes on. Um, I think it is interesting in that we are talking about, as we said, a particular detail of Malacha Anyantif. Your Dana, you're going to say, well, why wasn't it a Masacha Shabbat? I wonder if perhaps it wasn't such an issue on Shabbos. Um, although, again, I think part of this hinges on how, why they want to be doing this to begin with. But I also think we do treat Yom Tov and Shabbos differently. And I think that's why some of these things appear for Yom Tov differently than Shabbos, because we do sort of, it is treated differently in a certain way. And the, you know, that was mentioned on a daft, you know, previously that like people are always very, very strict when it comes to Shabbos. They may not be as necessarily careful with Yom Tov. And so I think having a devoted Masachet to all these things that Tony would be like, well, maybe this is allowed because I'm going to use the bird for something that's allowed to be used for on Yom Tov. Or, right, like you said, you know, it's also a Marasayan issue. So I think that's why the Mishnah has to go out of its way to point out some of these things. Yes, that makes sense. Now, the next thing that I want to talk about here, and it's actually a very long piece of Gemara, um, so I, I'm not sure that I'm going to, I don't think I'm going to read any of it. I'm really just going to talk about it outside is this story with Rabbi Chia's sons, um, that Rabbi Chia's sons come from the fields, basically, and they basically tell their father that they, you know, gave up Sakhalacha in a case with some, with a ladder on an upper story, and they said that it was allowed to be brought to this, you know, to the, to the, the, the dove cut on Yom Tov, basically. Um, and, you know, Rabbi Chia basically says to them, they were wrong, they have to reverse it. And then the Gemara basically comments the reason why they made this mistake is because they thought Rabbi Yehuda in the Brisa, right, when he says that, you know, it's prohibitive to move this, this ladder, right, which shows that the Tanakhama in that Brisa actually holds like Beit Hillel. And that the mistake they made is that Rabbi Yehuda in the Brisa is explaining the opinion of the Tanakhama, not really arguing with it. And then they give a second version of the story um, that the sons of Rabbi Chia Again, the same thing that they permitted it, it was that they permitted it to be leaned from one window to another. And again, Rabbi Chia tells them, no, they were wrong. And again, it was a misunderstanding of what the Brisa was actually trying to do. What were the different opinions 
um, in, in the Brisa itself and that they misunderstood uh, Ravi Dosa's, uh, you know, opinion there and what exactly he was trying to do. Uh, what I thought was interesting about this is there's something a little, you know, I always try to find the meta things here. Here we have a story where there's an acknowledgement that Rabbi Chia's sons, right, somebody knew a piece of Tanaitic literature, right? They knew a Brisa, they misinterpreted the Brisa, and they came to the wrong Pesach Halacha, and Rabbi Chia basically has to uh, tell them that they have to correct themselves. And it's interesting to see the line of thinking, and the Gemara provides two different versions of what this is, you know, that they misunderstood this text. I don't think we've seen anything like this yet. Uh, we've seen things where it says the text is corrupted, but here's the first time where we see an, a story about that an interpretation of a text was wrong, and it gives us a thought process of why did they read it wrong. And so I think this shows us that, like, by design, Tanaitic literature was always missing a little bit in it because I think it was meant to be, remember, there's no printing press here. So these were things that were memorized, and they misinterpreted it wrong. Like, they had the memorization correct, but the commentary on it is not always right. And I think this story basically illustrates why we need Gemara. Because here you have Rabbi Chia's sons, right? And they totally misinterpreted a Mishnah. Um, and again, not because they weren't good in their learning. I think they had it memorized, but they didn't have the commentary correct on it. And so we see there's really two elements here with Mishnah. There's the memorizing of the Mishnah itself, but the second piece is how do we really interpret the Mishnah? And this story illustrates that point beautifully. Um, I think it illustrates the point be beautifully. I still find it concerning, meaning I, I don't think that it's concerning that the Gemara presents um, that they have human foibles, right? Like that's that's part and parcel of how the Gemara Oh, and yeah, that part is not my issue. It's, it's not right. an issue at all, right? It's more the idea that like, yeah, people misinterpret texts. It doesn't get, you know, Mishnah in particular, well, here's a price of Batanaitic literature in particular, can sometimes be difficult to read. But I feel like at what stage of their of their upbringing by Rav Chisa, like when did this happen that this was, I don't know, I feel like I don't want them to have misunderstood the the Mishnah. Like it, it rubs me the wrong way, not because they're human, but because but because they're Rav Chisa, like why would this be happening, right? Meaning I, I don't, it doesn't bother me that the Gemara records it. I'm more upset that it happened at all. Right. But I think the point is it happens sometimes. And there's even two different versions of a possibility of what could have happened. Um, and I think also, like, we see that same inconsistency even at the bottom of the doc where, you know, they're talking about the different opinions of Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai. And the first suggestion that's brought, you know, they're trying to understand how to consistently make it because it looks like maybe Shammai, Beit Shammai is strict in one area, but Mekel in another area and vice versa. And Rabbi Yochanan comes and basically says, no, the, the two missions that we have here, actually the opinions need to be reversed so that you can line it up that one is always machmer and one is always makeup. The Gemara goes through that about whether or not that's true or not true. But I, I, I again, there's like this idea that like maybe the recorded Mishnah was not correct in a way. Um, and I find that to be super interesting. Interesting and concerning. Right. The, the concern is, of course, the moment you raise the question over any one little bit, which might be perfectly reasonable. The question isn't why isn't it legitimate to raise the same question over the entirety of the text? And then and then where would we be? Right. Meaning that's that brings down the entirety of Tosh Valdeh if we say, oh, this is not what it's supposed to be. 
I, I agree. And I think, you know, one of the struggles with that is Tarshavalpa was clearly sort of developed um, and it's transmitted in a way that's very different than Tarshavaktav. And we see that on this page, right? The possibility that Rabbi Chiyasan's misinterpreted a brisa, the possibility that's thrown out, although the Gemara sort of rejects it. But the fact that, Rabbi, that it's there on the top, that maybe the attribution to the opinions needed to be reversed. So what does that mean? But I, I, I think Torah Pet is meant to be transmitted in a certain way. And maybe it, that does, the, the transmission of it allows for a certain type of imperfection. But I think that's a lot to think about. And, and hopefully we'll see more examples uh, that may help us tease this out a little bit better as we continue Dafyomi. Yeah, I think that that's, I think it's right. I think that you've expressed it very well, that the the idea that there is something that is sacrosanct, I think, maybe you'll join me in this, sacrosanct about the nature of Torah Shabbat, which includes the fact that there are Ika de Amris and there are, there is attestation to the, you know, perhaps misinterpretation by Rav Christ's sons and so on and so forth. And I think that it is part and parcel of what Torah Shabbat is. I still find it a bit concerning, but I think that there's something um, profound in those imperfections in terms of what does it mean that we have a role to play in the, this forging of Torah? Exactly. Well, that's our DAF discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAF on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.